Okay, so we're just past the midway point in this conversation about offensive parenting, and what we've been uh, trying to talk about and consider together is, what if, what if we moved away from a reactionary style of parenting, waiting for circumstances and moments and maybe moments of disappointment and failure to come up in our children's lives, and then responding to that on the backside of it? What, what if we stopped parenting defensively? and actually got to the front side of this conversation and began to anticipate what is it that my kids are going to need to know even before they get to junior high? And what is it they're going to encounter their freshman year of high school that I need to have them prepared for now? What does it mean to get on the front side of this thing and set my kids up for the best possible chance at success in their lives? And to be proactive, to be on the offensive side of parenting. And so we've been having that conversation. And if you were here last week, you know that we talked about this idea of establishing three filters uh, in the life of our child. And the first filter, the one that we tackled together last week, was this whole idea of the fear of God. And we said, look, so often we think of fear as being a negative thing, but you realize there's actually positive fear. There's fear that it's appropriate and good to have. I'm fearful of rattlesnakes. I promise you, I give them all the room uh, they need. And there are things in our lives that it's actually healthy. And the Bible actually says, ready for this? The beginning of wisdom, the, the most fundamental place of starting to have true understanding of life, the beginning of wisdom is this healthy fear of the Lord. It's this idea that says, look, I just, I just don't get away with anything. When I decide to be disobedient, when I decide to be reckless, when I decide to do the wrong thing when I know what was right, it always shows up again. I, I'm the guy who always gets caught. And here's the deal. The consequences, the, the spanking that I get on the other side of disobeying God, or in this case, disobeying my parents, it, it's just not worth it. It's just whatever moment of pleasure I had, whatever thrill of disobedience uh, I experienced, it just isn't worth the consequence that happens. And we said one of the most powerful things, one of the most essential tools to establish in the life of our child is this filter that simply says, I'm the one that always gets caught. I'm, I'm the one that it just never pays off to do the wrong thing in my life. And we gave you an assignment out of this, and we talked about this idea of uh, first-time obedience, of simply saying to our children, look, we're going to stop doing the whole threatening and repeating. We're not going to wait till you've disobeyed 14 times and then discipline you out of anger. We're just, we're just going to stop this. And instead, we're going to set a new family standard, which is simply first-time obedience, which means we'll give you a warning. I mean, the minute you begin to do that, the second you go that direction, when you even initiate misbehavior, then we're going to warn. Uh, we're going to be happy to do that. Say, no, 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 you can't go there. You, you aren't going to do that. Because if you do, uh, I will respond next. I will come with discipline, and whether that's a spanking or whether that's a timeout or whatever that form of discipline which you find to be most effective, the part that's crucial is to say, warning, response, warning, response, so that our children get to the point where they go, you know, I'm just, it just doesn't pay off. <laughs> it just, there is no reward uh, in being disobedient, and we begin to teach this first filter to our children. Today, we're going to try to land the next two filters, and you just need to hear me say, if you can get these done, it will change your child's life. Their future will be forever, forever enhanced if they can find these other two filters and if you can help them place them in their lives. And the next one that we're going to tackle uh, this morning is a filter called the fear of disappointment. This is a filter that says, look, I, 
it's not even so much I'm worried about a spanking. It's not so much that I'm worried about getting time out or my cell phone taken away. That's, that's not, there's something, in, there's something in my heart that I actually fear more than consequences. And it's the look of disappointment in my parents' eyes. See, I, here's the deal. I, I, I don't even care if I get ground. That's not the thing that now moves my heart anymore. The thing that moves my heart is I don't want to see my dad when he finds out. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with my mom when she knows what I've done. It's this fear of disappointment. And here's, guys, this is why this is so essential. There's going to come a moment in your child's life where there is no form of discipline that you can do that's going to change their decision. It, it just isn't. There's going to come a place where whatever spanking, whatever grounding, whatever restriction you're planning to give is going to be ineffective. I, I can remember when I was uh, 10 years old and my mother put me over her knee uh, and she gave me a spanking and I got up afterwards and I looked at her and I said, is that all you got? You realize, I'm just telling you, there's a moment in your child's life when they're just going to say, is that all you have? I, I mean, yeah. Matter of fact, and here's the thing you need to think about, there's going to come a point where if, if they're already old enough and the truth is they should have moved on to capturing their hearts. When we started with discipline, we were capturing the behavior this is about capturing their heart. And if your child gets to the mid-teen years and you have not caught their heart, there's going to be a moment in which you go to discipline them and their resistance to your discipline is actually going to become a statement in their lives. Let me give you an example. There's going to be a moment, your 14-year-old daughter, uh, she's going to meet that boy. That boy that you just went, oh my, are you kidding me? He's 16. And he's only got one thing on his mind, and I'm just telling you, he is, of all the boys, you could, he is the worst boy. And here's the deal, I'm just telling you, you're not going to date him. You're not, you're not going to date him, and if you try to date him, I'm going to ground you for the rest of your life. And here's what your 14-year-old daughter will say in that moment. I'm going to date him anyways, and I don't care what you do to me because my dating him and my enduring being grounded is a statement of my eternal love. <laughs> that the more you punish me, it's just that much more opportunity to let Tommy know how deeply I love him. And I'm just going to tell you that, if, that if, if your kids get to the teen years and you have not captured their hearts... There is no discipline that you're going to do that's going to navigate you through that section of lives. As a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest to you that somewhere around the time your child is 9 or 10, you've got to be moving from this first filter into this second filter of capturing their hearts. Because, 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 you ready for this? There's going to be moments that they're going to make through their teenage years. There's going to be decisions when you're not in the room. And they're pretty sure that you will never find out about it and discipline will never show up. And in that moment, you need to have captured their heart so thoroughly that they say, look, I know, I know, I know. I know all the kids are going to that party. I know. The problem is I, I know some of the stuff that's going to go on there. And even if I went and even if I didn't participate, 
man, I know it would break my mom's heart. And so I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. I'm just not going to go. Not because I think my parents are going to discipline me. Because I wouldn't want to see that look of disappointment in their eyes. See, this is your 16-year-old daughter, and we talked about this a little bit last week. There's going to be the moment she's going to be in the backseat of a car. And that guy is going to say to her, hey, if you love me, and somewhere in her heart she's going to go, this is the one, and I'm going to marry him eventually, and I'm going to bear all of his children, and I just want to show him how much I love him. And in that moment, she's not going to be worried that you take your cell phone away. And in that moment, if she has any shot at making the right decision, it's going to simply be this. I want to, I mean I do, and I, and I, and I love you, but I know what my dad, I know he's hoping that I'll wait till marriage, and I can't. I can't risk that he would find out, not because I think he's going to discipline me, because I don't want to look in his eyes when I let him down. And so as much as I love you and as much as I want to, I fear more disappointing my father and ultimately disappointing my God. It's the power of winning your young person's heart. There's a passage in Scripture I think kind of backs this up. And if you have your Bibles and if you'll go there with me real quick, it's Genesis chapter 39. So it's pretty easy today. If you just go to the very front of your Bible and go to the very, very first book, it's the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 39. So while you're going there, let, let me just set this story up for you. Some of you will be familiar with it. It's a story of a guy by the name of Joseph. He grows up in a pretty dysfunctional family. Dad's got favorites, and he makes uh, no secret about it. And Joseph is the favored son. He loves him more than the rest of his brothers and sisters. He gives him gifts that he doesn't give the rest of the brothers and sisters. And so finally one day his siblings say, look, this is just intolerable. We're just sick and tired of this Joseph guy. So uh, our thought is simple, let's just kill him. And uh, so they take him out, they throw him in a ditch, and they're literally having lunch, sitting around the mouth of the ditch, uh, the hole in the ground, trying to decide the method of uh, homicide they're going to employ. And in that moment, a caravan comes uh, down the road. One of the brothers turns to the other brothers and says, hey, whoa, 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 this is a win-win. This is, this is a uh, have our cake and eat it too moment. Let's sell Joseph into slavery. We'll all make a profit. We can divide that up. And Joseph is gone, and out of our lives, we'll sell him to be a slave. And they go, that is absolutely the best idea of the day. So they sell Joseph into slavery. And if you know the story, he ends up being taken to Egypt on the caravan. Uh, he is purchased there on the, in the slave market by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who just happens to be a part of the Pharaoh's uh, security detail. He's the captain of the security guard for the Pharaoh. And the Bible says that Joseph, despite the horrible circumstances, does such an amazing job in Pharaoh's house that Pharaoh promotes him to number two. And at this point, you go, well, you know, it, it's not a great story, it's not a happy ending, but okay. 
until, until one day Potiphar's wife begins to take a second look at Joseph, and she approaches him and says, hey, let's sleep together. My husband's gone on business. He'll never know. Get the moment if you're Joseph. If you're Joseph, you're going, look, it's not like I'm worried about consequences. I mean, what could get worse? I'm, I'm already a slave. It's not like Joseph in that moment is not going to say, I mean, this would, this would maybe be a way to garner even greater favor. And in this moment, guys, get the moment. In this moment, Joseph is going to decide, no, I can't. Not because I'm afraid of a spanking. Not because I'm afraid God could make my life worse. I can't because I could never let God down. Let's read the passage. It's Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. And Joseph, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, The master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then? How in the world then could I do such a wicked thing to God. You get the moment. See, in this moment, Joseph's not saying, look, I'm afraid I'll get disciplined. I'm afraid that, you know, he's saying, look, I, I can't. As much as I'd want to and as beautiful as you, I can't because I am terrified at letting my Lord down. What do you immediately know about the heart of Joseph? It's been given to God. Now, guys, here's what you need to know. God, as he parents you and me, does this a hundred times. It's called gray areas. The areas in the Bible in which God gives you and me general instruction, but he says, here's the deal. I'm going to let you figure out how you're going to live this moment because how you live this moment will tell me how much of your heart I have. Let me see. What about movies? I mean, God says, hey, you know, be careful, don't put wicked things before your eyes. So here's my question. Wouldn't it be really, really cool if God would just say, look, here's the deal. R-rated, don't go. PG-13, you're okay. Wouldn't it be great if there was a verse that said that? Or, or what about this? What about, how cool would it be if God said, okay, here's the, here's the deal. Uh, three F-bombs, you're okay, you're okay. Four F-bombs, no, you can't go to that movie. Right? I mean, wouldn't that be helpful if God would do that? How many, how many nude scenes can there be in a movie before you and I shouldn't go? And how nude is nude? Right? And, and, and wouldn't it just be so helpful if God said, well, you know, if you, I mean, but you get what I'm saying. What about our language? 
You know, God says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then, okay, okay, I get that about the big words, but what about some of the other words? What, what, how come God doesn't tell us what to do with some of the so-so words? Do you ever wonder that? Here's why. Because what you and I do with the so-so words tells God where your heart is. What you and I do with the so-so movie tells God where your heart is. Because here's the deal. If you're trying to figure out whether you should go see Hangover 2, and you say in your heart, well, you know, I, I think maybe it's okay. I'm not sure, but I think maybe it's okay. And then you go. Haven't you made a hugely profound statement about where your heart is? Because here's what you've said. You've said, this may hurt the heart of God, but I am willing for the sake of my entertainment to risk disappointing Him. Doesn't that reveal volumes about your heart? If you have a word that you use all the time, and you know, and some people go, well, you know, I don't know if that's really appropriate for a Christ follower, you know, to be using that word, and you go, no, you know, nah. No, it didn't, it didn't, no, it's not technically a cuss word. I mean, it's just kind of. And if you are willing to keep that word in your vocabulary and, and knowing and saying, hey, this may be something that just wounds the heart of God. I, I get on Facebook, I see Christians who, who do initials, OMG. just thinking. If, if I, as a Christ follower, am willing to do the initials of using my Lord's name in vain, doesn't that say something about my heart? And how much more powerful, how much more of a confirmation of where I am spiritually if I go, you know what, I don't know about that word. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that movie, but because I don't know and because I'm not sure how God would feel about me going, my decision is no. My decision is I'm not going to go anywhere near something that might hurt the heart of my Lord. Fear of disappointment. And doesn't that decision not to go, not to say, not to participate, Say something about my heart. Now your kids. How powerful is the moment in which your kids say, look, I know, I know all the kill kids are smoking. I know. I, I know, I know everybody that's in the in crowd is going there. I know everybody else in school's already had sex. I know. I'm just pretty sure it would hurt the heart of my parents and the heart of my God. And so I choose not to go anywhere around that. How do you do this? How do you help train the heart of your child? And here's the answer. It's by giving them the opportunity of choice. 
It's by saying to them, look, 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 this used to be a family rule. It's something we used to tell you how you had to do it. We're now going to give you the authority and the responsibility in your life. You make the decision. You decide what you're going to Because here's the deal. Based on how you decide, I'm going to know an awful lot about your heart. And then, here's the deal, your kids are going to get it wrong. Your kids are going to go to a movie you didn't want them to go to. They're going to hang out with a friend you didn't want them. They're going to get it wrong. And instead of discipline, you download. Instead of consequences, you talk to them about what effect that has on you. Man, when you went there, when you did that, I just can't tell you how disappointed and you get what you're doing, you're coaching them to your heart. So let me, let me give you some examples. I'm going to give you a couple just kind of practical things that you could delegate to your children and ready, guys, 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 and allow them to fail. Because your measurement as a parent is not that your child never failed. Your measurement as a parent is that they have failed a hundred times and have learned and are now ready to leave. Okay? So here we go. Here's, here's some areas of potential delegation. Here's what I did. I did beginning delegation. I did this for you because some of you, this is just going to freak you out. So I gave you like baby delegation steps, and then I gave us like middle-of-the-road delegation steps, which means your mouth is going to go dry, and then I gave advanced delegation steps, which means ah! you're going to go, I can't believe the pastor told me that, okay? So here we go. All right. So beginning delegation steps. What about sports participation? What about saying to your child, hey, you know what? You get to decide if you're going to be in sports, and you get to decide whether you're going to practice today or not. And I know you're going, well, Lynn, wait, wait, I paid so much to get them in. I mean, if they don't go to practice, then they're not going to play. I know, I know. And what a great conversation after they've missed practice two times this week, and now they don't start in the game, to just say, without consequences, without just say, you get why you're not playing, Right? And can I tell you how sad it makes me that you would let down your team members by not practicing with them and, and that you would make a commitment to something and that you wouldn't follow through on it. And I just want you to know, that's disappointing for me. Coaching the heart. And what if, what if they actually did well? What if they actually went to practice of their own accord and gave their… How cool is that moment to then come back and go, I can't even tell you. I made it your decision whether or not you were going to participate and whether… And for you to go of your own accord and work that hard, I am so proud of you coaching the heart. Here's a couple more. Uh, I'll let you spend your money how you're going to spend your money. Uh, clean your room. It's up to you whether or not you want to clean your room. I know you go, are you, you know what my kid would do if I told them they didn't have to clean their room? They wouldn't clean it. This is good. And when company comes over, uh, you walk them through the house and you go, hey, this is Tommy's room. And Tommy's going to go, Mom, oh, that was so embarrassing. You embarrassed me. I didn't embarrass you. Your room embarrassed you. Okay. Homework. What if you just said, hey, you know what? It's up to you from now on whether or not you do your homework. You know, my kid would fail English. Summer school is good. Just, 
What powerful conversations to go, no, I, you know, I get it. And when, and when you have assignment, when you have responsibility in your life and you don't do the responsibility, that's when you get D's. Isn't it better for them to learn that lesson in your home than out of your home? And what a powerful moment in which to coach the heart of your child and say, you know, I, I, just, I just want to tell you, when, when you have responsibility and don't follow through, man, I just, that wounds my heart. You're coaching the heart. Okay, so here we go. More mid, middle, middle of the road ones, allow them to pick their own movies, allow them to pick their own friends, allow them to decide whether or not they're going to do chores. And you go, I, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, I do too. I know exactly what's going to happen. And what, again, a powerful parenting moment when you and your wife, your wife and your husband, and your, their brother and sister are doing chores around the house, and they're laying around watching TV. And, and you, what a great moment. Because remember, it's not discipline. It's review to say, hey, it's just sad that when everybody else is doing their part for the family and you're watching TV. But how much more power for the other? What, what a great moment if they got up off their keister and actually helped. I mean, what a great moment of coaching the heart to say, wow, I'm so proud. You had a choice whether or not to do chores today, and I can't tell you how proud I am. Coaching the heart. And then finally, real quick, uh, for the advanced, for those of you that want to be terrified, uh, let them choose what to wear. Uh, let them choose when their curfew is going to be. Uh, let them choose which parties to go to. Because in the end, how powerful is it if they give you their heart? Okay? All right. Third phase, third filter. Desire to please. And maybe, maybe this helps a little bit. I just want to say to you right now, this is probably the hardest one to explain, so I need you to put on your thinking helmets and listen here, because... Maybe the hardest to grasp, but it is the most powerful filter of the three. This is, this is the one that if you can get your young person to get to hear before they leave your home, I'm telling you they're going to be able to navigate their life. And it's this desire to give honor. It's this desire that says, look, look, this is no longer about what's right and wrong. This is about me doing that which causes my heavenly father or my earthly father to have the biggest smile. I'm simply going to do something to cause honor to be given. And here's what you need to know about honor. Honor always comes on the other side of sacrifice. You can never give honor unless it costs you something to give it. It's the very essence of honor. So honor is always expensive in my life. Let me see if this helps at all. There's a moment in the life of King David when he makes a mistake, he makes a horrible decision in his life, he decides to count the armies of Israel. God is really upset at this, and here's why God is bothered by it. Because he says to David, look, you're counting the number of troops you have because you're trying to figure out how strong you are and how much resources you have to beat the coming enemy. And what you've forgotten is it doesn't matter how many troops you have, I'm on your side. 
And what you've displayed by counting your soldiers is you're counting on them. You're trusting the strength of your army more than the strength of your God. And David realizes his mistake, and he decides he's going to repent, that he's going to ask God forgiveness. And he decides he's going to do this, you ready? By giving sacrifice, by giving honor to the Lord. And so he, said, he looks and he sees right next to the palace, there's a guy who owns a threshing floor, which is where you would have worked your wheat. And in that threshing floor is an amazing team of oxen with this really, really high-end uh, kind of plow thing for them. And he just goes, that would show God honor. If I were to take those oxen and sacrifice them to the Lord, that would show God tons of honor. That's what I'll do. And so he goes to his neighbor, his name happens to be Aruna, and he says, look, I want to buy your oxen, I want to give this plow away, I want to show God honor. And when he gets there, Aruna says to him, look, I get it, King David, I'll just give you, I'll just give you my oxen, I'll give you the plow, I'll give it all to you, it won't cost you anything, take it. And David has a very interesting response. So grab your Bibles real quick. It's 2 Samuel, chapter 24, so you're going to go to the right in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel, chapter 24. Starting in verse 21. Here's what it says. Watch this because it's really interesting. Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so that I can build an altar to the Lord and the plague on the people will be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it here. Here are my oxen for the burnt offering and here is the threshing floor, sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king. And Aruna also said, may the Lord God accept you. Now watch David's response to being given everything for free. But the king replied to Aruna, no, not a chance. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Because, because, ready? Honor always comes with sacrifice. Here's what David knew. If Aruna gave those things to David, Aruna would be honoring David. He'd be saying, I love you as a king, you're an enemy. I'll just, I'll just give it to you. But if David gave to God that which cost him nothing, there would be no honor given. Okay, so let me, men, I want you to imagine this. It's Saturday morning. You're working in the yard around your house. Your 16-year-old son comes out to help you in the backyard. Now, this alone is a miracle. Just the idea that he woke up on a Saturday morning is remarkable. Huge amounts of sacrifice. And you say, what are you doing here? He says, I just thought I'd help. 
you then ask him and say, well, well, wait a minute. Wasn't this the Saturday that you were supposed to head up to the lake with your friends? He goes, yeah. What are you doing here? I knew you had a lot to do, and I just thought I would stay and help. And men, here's what you know. In that moment, that young man, through his decision of sacrifice, gave you a ton of honor. It wouldn't have been sin to go to the lake. He had every right to go to the lake. You wouldn't even have been mad if he'd gone to the lake. And instead, he said, you ready? I will choose that thing which causes my father the greatest honor because I would rather honor my father than any enjoyment I may have at the lake. That's honor. Men, it's, it's you taking the kids to the park on a Saturday morning and you turn to your wife and you say, hey, are you coming with us? She says, no, there's a lot to do around the house. How honorable would it be for you to turn to the kids and say, guys, 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 here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you co-conspirators in honor. And we're going to take the first hour and we're going to help your mom. And through the sacrifice of our first hour at the park, we're going to give honor to her. Now, let's just be honest. They're prob your kids are probably not helpful at all. You'll probably have to clean up after they help. But you made them co-conspirators in honor, which is crucial, guys, because here's what you need to get. This lesson of giving sacrificial honor is not something you can teach. It's something your kids will catch when they watch you do it. Which is why, I'm just going to tell you, there is nothing so powerful as you enlisting them to be co-conspirators with you. We, we've, got this, uh, we've got this amazing thing called Second Saturday, where every Second Saturday there's the opportunity for families to come to church here and serve together. And you ready for this? Through the sacrifice of a Saturday… And not because it would be sin if they didn't come or wrong if they didn't come, but because they chose to sacrifice, to go help the underprivileged and the widows and the homeless of our community, simply because, you ready for this? It would honor their God. And how powerful is it if you take your children with you when you do it? We've had this influx just recently of parents going on our missions trips. And you ready for this? Sacrificing a week or two of vacation. Not because it would be sin not to go on a missions trip, but because, you ready for this? The sacrifice of giving that time to go work with orphans in India or Kenya would bring honor to God. And you want to hear the cool thing that's been happening? We've had mothers and fathers taking their kids with them making them co-conspirators in honor. I'm just telling you, if you can raise a kid who says, 
I, I don't know what's going on at the lake this weekend. I, I'm not sure what they're doing over there in that college dorm. I, I, I know what the cool kids on my university campus are doing, but here's the deal. There's nothing over there that means as much to me as giving honor to my God. And I'm going to live my college career bringing glory, honor to my heavenly Father. There, there, see There's an amazing story of Daniel. Daniel also is a slave. He's dragged off to the Babylonian Empire. While he's there, he's put in a position of leadership, and it causes the other men around him to be deeply jealous. And so they go to the king and they say, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to catch Daniel in a trap. And they talk the king into making a decree that every single person in the Medo-Persian Empire has to pray to King Darius for the next 30 days. They do this because they know that Daniel is a man of honor, and they know that Daniel every single day comes out of his apartment, goes on to the porch, the balcony that's outside of his little apartment, gets down on his knees and publicly prays to his God. And so they know, we issue this decree, Daniel is in a world of hurt. And the king, not thinking, passes the decree, and it goes out. For the next 30 days, you have to bow down to King Darius. You cannot pray to any other gods. Tell me what's going through the heart of Daniel on the first day as he's sitting there in his apartment. And tell, tell me that there's not a moment in his heart that he says, I could pray inside. I mean, it wouldn't be sin to pray inside, right? I mean, I'd, I'd, still, I'd still be honoring God and doing what I'm supposed to do if I prayed inside and then nobody would see and I wouldn't be in trouble and I could just kind of secret agent my faith. And it's interesting in that moment that Daniel walks over to the windows to his balcony gets down on his knees and prays in public. Why? Because somewhere in the heart of Daniel, he asked this question. Does God get more honor inside my apartment or with me on the balcony? And I am willing to sacrifice anything to give God honor. What if you and I sent teenagers off to college who said, I'm going to live college from the balcony, and I will sacrifice the approval of my peers. I don't care what my professors say to me. I will honor God from the balcony. You'd have a pretty powerful kid because he understood the gift of honor. Okay, so here we go, wrapping it up. Homework, here's what you and I are going to do this week. Number one, you and I are going to delegate some responsibility to our kids. We're going to say, look, it's your room. You can do what you want. Uh, hey, you get to decide how you're going to spend your money. I don't care what it is, but you're going to find at least two places to delegate responsibility to your kids that you're no longer going to discipline if they fail, it's a, but you are going to review. You're going to coach their hearts, okay? So for every single child two places of responsibility that you can then coach.
okay? And the second thing is this. I'm going to ask you to invite your children at least one time in the next 30 days to be a co-conspirator with you as you give honor to God. I'm going to ask you to invite them to second Saturday. I'm going to ask you to invite them as you go down to help a neighbor. I don't care. I'm simply asking you to invite them to be co-conspirators as you sacrifice in order to bring honor to your heavenly Father. Two responsibilities delegated, one invitation to be co-conspirators in honor. Next 30 days. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're simply coming to a moment that our hearts just ache to be the parents we need to be, that our kids would be so ready for this world that instead of us cowering in fear and trepidation as they move out of our homes, that instead we'd be saying, world, you look out because my kids headed your way. And God, we ask you that you would give us the opportunity as parents to capture the hearts of our children, that that they would would live in moments saying, look, I I, I just can't do that with you, and I I can't go there with you because I I would never want to see the look of disappointment in my father's eyes if I did that. God, we'd have their hearts. God, help us as parents to model lives of sacrifice that say, look, I I don't have to do this. I don't have to support this orphan in Kenya. I don't have to. But I got a feeling it thrills the heart of God. And so we're just not going to eat out this week. We're going to give that money to an orphan. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to live our lives on the porch simply because it brings honor to our Heavenly Father. God, may we as families be co-conspirators in giving you honor. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.